Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think the stories about you is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story, but she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think the stories about you wherever you listen to podcasts. It's nice to have these five little tips to always fall back on. Yeah. Even if your child right now is an amazing sleeper in a year from now, things might get a little funky and you can refer back to like, Oh, they've been doing a bunch of car naps. That's probably why. Or uh, she can't put herself to sleep anymore. She's been used to me lying in her room. I need mm-hmm. to fix that. So it's really where, you know, I start all my consultations and work with all my families to look at these five things and see what can we tweak. You're listening to child sleep consultant Gabby Wentworth on Psychologists Off the Clock. Curious what psychologists chat about over coffee? We are three clinical psychologists and busy parents who love to talk about and explore the best ideas from psychology to use in our clinical work and in our own lives. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California, where I specialize in compassionate, values-based approaches to living well. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, where I specialize in rehab and health psychology and acceptance and commitment therapy. And from coast to coast, I am Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University, specializing in evidence-based therapy for relationships. In this podcast, we explore how psychological principles can help improve your work, relationships, parenting, and health. We discuss the practices we use in the therapy room and bring you ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your own life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Today, I'm really happy to bring you guys the second part of our series on sleep. We just released recently an episode um, that Diana and I brought you with some really interesting ideas from sleep science. And today, we're going to focus more on children's sleep. We have an interview with Gabby Wentworth, who is a social worker that I know who is an expert on children's sleep. And she provides consultation to families who are struggling with sleep issues with their children. Um, But before we get started... I thought it would be fun if each of us told a horror story about children's <laughs> sleep that we have experienced in our own personal lives. Diana, you want to start us off? There's so many, but I think the top horror story was when my son was about five months old and he wasn't sleeping and it was about two o'clock in the morning and my partner and I looked at each other and we were convinced that there was something physically seriously wrong with him because we could not get him to go to sleep. So we packed him up as new parents, threw him in the car and took him to the ER and we brought him in. He was all giggles and googles and smiley. And they looked at us and they just laughed. It was like, it sounds like your kid is having a normal can't sleep night. So it was a new parenting problem. Yeah. Slight, slight overreaction perhaps. Yeah. Well, we were sleep deprived. So yeah, of course we were overreacting. Yeah. How about you, Yael? Well, it's, I mean, I think that the 
discussion about how sleep deprivation impacts your brain is a very important one. And as a couples therapist, I will say that I think that that is something that really takes a huge toll on relationships. Debbie, you and I talked about that in our Couples with Young Kids episode. I believe it was episode 33. And I will definitely... um, admit that that happened to me as well, that when I am tired, I am not a very rational person. (laughs) And um, so that certainly has an impact on on most people's marriages. And I'm not immune for it, despite immune from that, despite being a couples therapist myself. Um, And my my youngest child is uh, almost two years old. So my sleep horror stories feel pretty recent, although I always joke that I don't consolidate memories at all when (laughs) my children are very young because they've all been pretty rotten sleepers. But um, my third kiddo took about a year and a half of sleep training. So it was many, many, many months of sleeping and and just a lot of unpredictability. It was I was never sure if he was going to let me sleep until 5 a.m., which would have been a good night or if it was going to be several wake ups and several cry it outs some nights. um, we were so tired that we didn't let him cry it out, which I'm sure just prolonged a lot of the sleep difficulties because we were so inconsistent because we were just so tired. Um, and I will say that having three kids, it just is very likely that somebody's going to disrupt your sleep. And as a parent who really um, requires good sleep to be not only effective, but also just balanced in my mental health, um, it, it is really, really challenging. It's such an important topic. Yeah. How about you, Debbie? Well, my horror story, again, there were so many I could have chosen, but uh, there was just this period when I had a toddler and an infant, and I was spending probably one to two hours every single day trying to get the toddler to take a nap, and whatever I was doing was so inefficient that I was at my wit's end. I wasn't getting anything else done all day. I was ignoring the baby because I was just so caught up. I was staying in the room, and I was trying everything I could think of, and I mean... Uh, what a waste of time. And half the time it didn't even work because my very presence would make it so that she didn't fall asleep. Uh, so, yeah, I do not look back finally on that particular incident, I have to say. And I ha- just this episode in general is really one I could have used years ago. I think at this point, my kids are a bit older. They're in a pretty good groove with sleep for the most part. Um, you know, I think They could probably use a little bit more, but they sleep through the night pretty much every night. But it really took us years to get there in my family. And I feel like I have probably made just about every mistake you can think of. I've tried just about everything under the sun at some point or another to get my kids to sleep consistently. Um, There were just a lot of times for me when this was really, really frustrating. And I think what's so hard as a parent is you know how important sleep is for your kids as well as for yourself. And there's a lot of information out there, and we've all been flooded with it, about how important sleep is for kids' physical and cognitive development. So sleep is the time when kids produce the most growth growth hormone. It's when they grow. It's also when they produce the most infection-fighting protein. So it's when their bodies are healing and when they're consolidating memory and and learning. So if you want your kids to, to grow and their bodies to grow, they need to sleep. But at the same time as parents, we have a really hard time knowing how to support that, how to make it happen. Yeah, I I agree. I think that a good night of sleep is so important for kids. And there are some real skills that can be learned to help support that. And that is where this idea of a sleep consultant like Gabby comes in. And Diane, I know you had some experience, you said yourself, hiring a, a sleep consultant back in the day. Well, not soon after that ER visit, we decided we needed help. 
And we hired a, a fabulous sleep consultant who saved the day because she really coached us with some um, skills. And she would actually coach us then the day after each night. And then we kind of set up a plan. And the, the, I was kind of thinking about the three top things that she shared with us. And the first thing that she shared with us was how to um, mindfully listen to our kids' cries. And she actually had us do this whole um, sort of hour long experience where we would sit and, um, you know, mindfully hear how the, the cry cycles and how the kid actually can soothe themselves. And then when they get to the point where they're not soothing themselves anymore and they actually need help. And if you can pull away a little bit from the need to fix it right away, which I think as parents, we want them to stop crying and recognize that crying has a lot of different um, factors to it. Sometimes it is we need to go in and rescue right away, but sometimes the cry also indicates that the child is soothing itself or it's releasing tension from the day. And so that was the first skill. The second skill, this is very bolder because she was a bolder uh, consultant, was creating a sleep mantra, a compassionate sleep mantra that we would go in and say to our child every every time we would go in and check on him. So instead of picking him up and nursing him, which is what I would want to do and would do, which would actually exacerbate the problem when he wasn't hungry, uh, she taught us to go in and tell him that I hear you're crying, you're learning something new, this is hard, I'm here. And she'd use a lot of compassionate statements like, I can't fix this for you, but I, and I see your struggle, but I'm here to be with you. And then we'd leave the room. And then the third, third thing, which you talk a lot about in this episode, was developing a sleep routine, which we still use to this day. And honestly, I need a sleep routine for myself to get myself to sleep, too. So those those three were really beneficial. That's right. We all do. And yeah, these are great practices. And what I really love about this episode with Gabby, she does talk more specifics about sleep routines and whatnot. And she, Gabby really knows the science of children's sleep well. And it's so complicated. It changes throughout all these different stages stages of childhood and over the lifespan, but she really pairs it down to a few very simple concepts that people can focus on that are really effective. And I have to say, I remember when I had babies, I would pick up these books on sleep that are hundreds of pages long, and my brain could not even process them. I had no idea what they were trying to tell me to do, and my basic thought was, just tell me what to do. And those books are pretty hard to decipher. So I'm really hoping that these ideas will help you. I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. And more importantly, I hope it helps parents who are trying to get much needed sleep for themselves and their children. So enjoy the interview. Thank you, Gabby, for coming today to talk to us about children's sleep. My pleasure. So excited that you're here. So why don't we start with just a little bit about your background and, you know, your education and your experience and how you got into this topic. Sure. Um, So I've always worked with children, right? Uh, And I decided to go and get my uh, MSW so that I could be a therapist for kids. And in doing so, I studied family systems. So I was working a lot on family topics. While I was in school, I worked in a school setting and then in a hospital. Um, And then after graduate school, I went and worked in community mental health. Working with kids that whole time? So I wasn't working with kids in community mental health. I actually worked with adults because I found in working with kids, you need to be able to work with their parents. Yeah. So I focused on adults and worked in mental health specifically. And in doing that, I realized how interesting sleep was and how um, it influences someone's mental health. Well, fast forward, I had my own kids Uh and my own family. And I realized that um, personally... 
if I didn't sleep, I was crazy. (laughs) And a horrible mom and my relationship was not as good as it has had been. And so, um, and my kids, if they weren't sleeping well, they weren't doing as well. And so I kind of, you know, there was a little marriage there between my interest in mental health, sleep, and my own personal um, family life. Well, my first child didn't sleep well until she was two when we hired a sleep consultant. I had no idea sleep consultants existed. Um, We hired one. She changed our lives dramatically, our marriage, our kids, their well-being, my well-being, all of that. Um, And so I started pondering um, getting a certificate in child sleep consulting. And so then I ended up doing it, started my business, and it has been... um, really amazing because I do see the changes in other now other families in you know relationships marriages there the children's well-being kids start eating better that kind of thing so that's a kind of a long story about how you know I became interested and how I've gotten to now running my business that's awesome so you went and got this training and it sounds like it's you've had the personal experience of how much impact and I bet you're seeing that with your clients as well yes just how it's a game changer for people totally game changer and you know, a long, it's pretty quick, right? Like sleep yeah. consult, when I work with a family, usually maximum two weeks. And the changes are so dramatic in such a short amount of time. Where I saw with mental health, working in mental health with adults and children, you know, doing therapy can take a long, long mm-hmm. time to see recovery or changes or, you know, any, any change for some people. And some people it's faster. But with this, changing sleep habits is dramatic. It is so fast. And um, the positive outcomes are just like rewarding for me and for the families. And yeah, yeah. and it's so effective. So and effective. I think there's all this uh, research I've been reading about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia yep. and how effective it is in the long term and how much just these sleep behaviors make such a big difference. Yep. So tied to so many areas of life. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. We need sleep, obviously. So what's the name of your, because you, you do online consulting. Before we get in, dive into the topic of sleep, tell me, tell us the name of your consultation business because you do online consultation. I do. I do phone. phone yeah. Phone, phone and in-home for Denver area, obviously. Um, it's called Rockabye Rockies. Oh, Rockies in Denver. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have a website, rockbyrockies.com, and people just kind of buy a package up front, and um, we do a consultation. I learn about their family and kind of cater to what their family needs. And, um, yeah, I help cool. people get sleep that That's they great. desperately need. I wish I would have known about <laughs> this, but my kids, I think, have kind of gotten over the hump of the really tough you know yeah. when you're not sleeping at all but yes um, I feel like we went through a lot of years of you know s- sleep deprivation in this household so yeah it's like torture right oh yeah <laughs> and even now I mean it, like you said on the days when I go a couple days in a row of not sleeping enough I can really feel my energy level and my you know I'm maybe a tad grumpy I yeah think some people oh. <laughs> would endorse dad. that uh, my husband might say a little more than a, <laughs> a little dad. more than a dad let's kind of dive in why don't you tell us a little bit just about kids sleep like what is you know how's it different from adult sleep and what is what happens with kids sleep let's start there sure so it is different right from birth sleep is broken up into REM um, rapid eye movement and non-REM sleep and uh, it's super active it's really interesting because your body is kind of frozen you don't move physically but um, your metabolic system is moving and your eyes are twitching and your brain is very active. That's when we dream. That's when we dream. Exactly. And you're much, you can wake up a lot um, easier from REM. 
because it's just kind of a lighter sleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then there's non-REM, and that's a deeper sleep, and it's restorative, and your um, breathing is kind of you know the same, like very calm. Your heart rate is the same. It's just not as active, right? It's calm mm-hmm. sleep, um, and that is not when we're dreaming. That's just when you know we're in a deep sleep, and it's much harder to wake up from that. So when babies are born, they're fifty. They sleep fifty percent REM and fifty percent non-REM. And then as they get older, there's less REM active sleep and more non-REM. Mm-hmm. And so children, when they're you know three years old, it's thirty percent of their sleep is REM. And then by the time later in childhood and adolescence, uh, it's twenty five percent REM sleep, like adults. So what's interesting about that for kids' sleep is when you're in REM, like I said earlier, you wake up easier. And so children tend to wake up more often. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have the skills to put themselves back to sleep, they call mom and dad. And so that's where, you know, I get a lot of my business, unfortunately. Just frequent waking. Frequent waking. And you know what? Um, There's still a lot of research being done, but it's good. So it's been said that often... That the REM sleep is really good for babies because they wake up more often and prevent SIDS. Um, It also might have something to do with their brain learning how to move and just being more active. It's really still questionable why there's more REM sleep in infants than older children, but these are all theories. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing that's pretty interesting about babies. Another thing is obviously babies and children sleep more than adults. So when you're sleeping more, there's more opportunity for issues Mm -hmm. right so that's when I step in also because you're you know kids are napping all day and as they get older they don't need those naps so typically day day sleep drops um so there's just more less opportunity for there to be issues um and then finally kids need their sleep cycles are different than adults so sleep cycles for young children are 30 to 50 minutes and so when you go through a transition of a sleep cycle usually you have an opportunity to wake up Okay. Adults are 90 to 100 minutes, so you're kind of in the sleep cycle for a longer period of time, and you're less likely to wake up at that transition. So, you know, given all this information, long story short, there's more opportunity for kids to wake up, yeah. scientifically yeah. speaking. And, um, and that causes some issues for families, especially mm-hmm. if their child isn't able to go back to sleep on their own. Okay. So they need a lot of sleep, and they sleep yes. a lot. Yes. But they also have that tendency, I mean, which any parent I'm sure knows, that tendency to just wake frequently, yep. wake up really easily. Yes. Yeah. And okay. it can be healthy. Like I said, it can prevent SIDS. It's really natural for them yeah. to wake up. The problems usually, who, my clients, um, is that the child can't get themselves back to yeah. sleep after yeah. some of those wake-ups. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just normal, right? I mean, I think... Healthy. With babies especially, that they're, if you kind of expect a newborn baby to sleep through the night, it's right. just not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's just not Absolutely their not. nature. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a myth, right? People are like, my baby, quote unquote, sleeps through the night. And it's a myth. They're not. They're waking up and able to put themselves back to sleep. Okay. And you want them to wake up. Again, it's really, I think, a protective mechanism. Um, I'm sure it started with like, is an animal going to attack me or something right. like that? <laughs> uh, and also for SIDS, it's good that they rouse and kind of, you know, roll okay. over and that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Ta-da! <laughs> the science of children's sleep. Child, and that also gives a sense of how it changes, you know, kind of through time. From yes. infancy onward. Yeah. And interestingly, like by adolescence, kids are kind of in an adult type of sleep. Um, so by that point, they should be able to sleep super well, you know, and 
even usually around three when it's 30% REM sleep, like kids kind of have it together unless mm-hmm. there's some behavioral stuff, which is also what I work on with families, you know, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> may not have to do with the frequent wake ups during the night, but more with bedtime battles. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole other. Well, and I feel like of both of my kids went through a phase for a while when they thought it was fun to have us come into their room in the middle of the night. Yep. And that was probably around three or four for yes. both of them. Yes. Yes. Um, so and development but that was more I think that was much more of a behavioral thing because they found oh it's fun I'll just call totally totally or kids are like ooh bedtime um or potty yeah. training often kids are like I have to go to the bathroom again and yeah. like that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. you know it's all it's all that stuff is all natural um in the middle of the night though so the first half of the night is very deep sleep for both adults and kids it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting and then come the second half of the night usually after midnight um there's more REM sleep, so children are, usually wake up more often um, in the second half of the night because they're just lighter in a yeah. lighter stage of sleep. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening, if you find your child wakes up after midnight more often, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> for us, I feel like it's always right around three. Yes, three a.m. Totally. Seems to be the- Party time. That's exactly right. And it's all about REM. And also, Uh they're dreaming more. Mm -hmm. So between three and five, there's a lot of um, nightmares and dreams and things. So they have, you know, a dream. They wake up. They're scared. Mm -hmm. They call mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Um, They're still figuring out reality from make-believe. So if kids watch a movie that kind of makes their brain a little wild, they might wake up around three and be like, is that real? Is that fake? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like a nightmare kind of thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. All natural, though. It's developmentally appropriate, really. Yeah. It's just how parents deal with it that um, becomes very interesting. Well, yeah. So <laughs> should we move into that? Some, yeah. I, I think you have some um, sort of common, I guess, behaviors that you work on with families. I do. I do. But, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, for the babies, it's oftentimes lots of waking and then needing mom and dad to put them back to sleep or get them to sleep. Okay. So, and then as kids get older, the behavioral stuff kicks in. Um you said some of your kids wake up at, you know, woke up at 3 a.m. or midnight and wanted you to come in. And mm-hmm. did you have any other behavioral stuff? Like at bedtime, that happens a lot too. Oh, definitely. Stalling. Stalling, for sure. Um, wanting us to stay in there until they fall asleep. Very common. Which is something that I've sometimes indulged and then regretted because once you do it, they... Like, wait, you know what I mean? Lying on their floor yes. in their bed with them yes. until they fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> but then they want you to do that every night. Mm-hmm. And then they don't like to try to fall asleep by themselves. That's a, That's been probably the biggest one. That's. I'm so glad you're saying this because hopefully this is normalizing it for a lot of parents, right? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm doing this in my own home. Does anybody else do this stuff? Yeah. And I'm here to tell everyone that yes, they do. <laughs> and so are you, Debbie. Like, I know. I rocked my kid to sleep till she was two and then finally slept with a trainer and rocked her in the middle of the night for two hours. Like... You know, we're in survival mode as parents. Yeah, that's it's not true. the worst thing. But you're right, so it becomes no, it habitual. Makes, yeah, it makes it so that then they lose the ability to just lie there in their bed quietly by themselves. Exactly. And then the other problem with this is then I fall asleep, right, you know, in right, my bed. And then right. wake up an hour later and I'm like, wait, then I'm all, you know, I've had like a nap. Yes, you know, and then you're up on them. Totally. <laughs> also, I've heard like nine people tell me that recently. So yeah, to normalize it for you, Debbie, yeah. you're not the only <laughs> Okay, one. good. I feel like this podcast is going to be like things I've done wrong. Totally. 
<laughs> as a parent, yeah. hmm, could have if I could only rewind. Anybody listening who has like a twenty five year old is like, whoops, yep, did that. Yeah, Check, yeah. did and that. We all survive, but you exactly know, we could be flourishing more if we have more sleep. Exactly. And so that so for you because you hired a sleep consultant yep. and you said your first child was had its trouble. Yes. You, looking back, are there things that you feel like maybe oh. were I mean, problematic? So everything. Everything yeah. I did. You know, I was like, and this relates to a lot of people, working full time. Um, I didn't work with anyone who had kids. My family lives far away. I didn't have many friends with kids. So I was, we were in survival mode. My mm-hmm. husband too. We're just like, I guess this is normal, right? What are we doing? <laughs> right. And yes, lots of habits were okay. created that had to be broken at two years old. Okay. Which isn't that fun, but... Um, now she's a rock star sleeper, so that's good. Well, good. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, you'd hope my child slept well. Yeah, given your <laughs> At <job>. this point. <laughs> right. Oops. Yeah. Um, anyway, so back to, you know, sleep issues and families have. I would love to give whoever's listening some tips about um, things to do, what I call my components of healthy sleep, uh, to avoid or fix some of the issues that may be going on in their homes. Awesome. Um, and you know, this is like free consultation. Totally, I like want to help every parent out there who is in the situation I was with my first kid, so they don't, you know, have to hire me. Which is, yeah. <laughs> let's hope this helps someone out there. Um, so these are my components of healthy sleep can really apply to adults and children. So if you don't have kids and you're listening, whoever, mm-hmm. um, you know, think about your own sleep habits and what you do, and um, hopefully. This may help tweak some of them. <laughs> I think there's a lot of parallels. And actually, I think this has kind of been a little something I've gotten more and more interested in myself, too, because I feel like my sleep habits tend to be pretty bad. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Debbie. Well, this one's for you. Late. Right. I know. Yeah. No, sleep helpful, And I realize how much behavioral, you know, component there is to that. Yeah. So really. This is helpful for everyone. Yes. Um. So... Ta-da, the components of healthy sleep. The first one <laughs> is uh, having a soothing and calm for children, naptime and bedtime routine, for adults, bedtime routine. Really what it does is creates a scenario where the child is like, okay, it's bedtime. You mm-hmm. know, kids love routine. I think adults do too, to be honest. And it's just a little trigger for their brains that this is what happens every day at naptime, bedtime, and kind of gets the mood set for going to sleep. Um, it should be calm. It should be chill. It should not be like going upstairs, take a bath, coming downstairs to play, going upstairs, like changing PJs, coming downstairs to, you know, get a snack, that kind of thing, which, you know, some families do. But ideally for a child, the um, routine will just kind of be, say you have it upstairs, not everybody does, but you go upstairs and have the bath time and do your books and put on PJs and, Mm -hmm. you know, something similar. There's no like right answer as long as it's calm and consistent. Typically, nap time, the routine is a shortened version of bedtime. Um, I encourage people to put pajamas on their kids at naps if they're home. Um, and, and really, it comes down to the same routine at home. I know a lot of kids go to daycare or go to grandma's. And as long as those places have the same routine, that's great, too. But when at home, um, I suggest that the routine is similar. Uh, for adults... You know, I think a lot of people like brush their teeth, wash their face, get in bed, read an article on their phone, which is not really ideal. Reading a book is better. Yeah, right. Read a the, chapter of the book. The phones are deadly <laughs> for sleep. It's like the worst thing. It's the worst. That's but what gets me if I have it. I know. I have to leave it downstairs or else I get sucked in. That's you know? good. Yeah. That's good. 
healthy sleep well, habits. I Good job, Debbie. Don't always do that, but when I do, yes. Give yourself a pat on the back those yes. nights. Yeah. Um, and, you know, same thing. You read a, let's say, chapter of a book and then go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so the routine is just, you know, important for everyone. Yeah. Okay, number one, sleep component. That was it. The second one is um, respecting circadian rhythms. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're all born with a circadian clock. Everybody, some people are night owls naturally. Mm -hmm. Some people are larks in the morning. But typically we're kind of all in the same realm unless there's a sleep, you know, issue for real. Um, Medical issue, I should say. And so for children, usually naps fall around the same time as just bedtime, as does wake up, right? There's kind of a window, but... Um, when I say respecting circadian rhythms, I mean, you know, get your baby or child down for their nap um, at the age-appropriate time. Oftentimes for little ones, it's around 8.39 for a first nap, and then noon, 12.30 for a second nap, and if they're still taking a third nap, around 3, 3.30. And if parents just aim for those times, then they're in good shape. Mm-hmm. And I um, highlight and drill into my clients' heads that early bedtime is so important for kids and adults and teenagers um, a child should probably be in bed around 6.30, 7.30. Wow. I yeah, know. I need to shift that. <laughs> As they get older, they can, yeah. you know, hang. Yeah. Or even if they're in bed and, like, reading a book for yeah. older kids. Yeah. You know, that's okay. But... Um, days are long. School's exhausting. Babies need a lot of sleep, as we said earlier. And um, that's usually the biggest shift for most of my clients. Mm-hmm. Especially Going to bed earlier. Starting the routine earlier. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Getting dinner on the table earlier, which at the same time I say that, I understand that American culture is not ideal for that. Yeah. Right? If everybody's working full time and kids aren't getting picked up at daycare till 530, how are they going to be in bed by 637? Um, so. So the best you can do, right? Exactly. Well, and I, I feel like that makes so much sense if you think about just our biology that we're kind of designed to go to bed when the, you know, yes. things get dark and yep. cozy. Precisely. Because I think if you're keeping your kid up till, you know, nine, ten o'clock at night, yep. depending on the age and other things, like that's just they're not supposed to be awake. Exactly. Their bodies are ready for sleep at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Back to the circadian rhythm. Right, Yeah, right. it's just, and people talk about other cultures and Spain, you know, they have a really late culture. They have dinner late. And yes, the kids are functioning, but could they function better on an earlier schedule? Possibly. It's up for debate, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, sleep is being studied a lot and it's, anything having to do with the brain, with the brain is so complicated that yes. there are no perfect answers right, right now, but... Well, yeah. and in places like Spain, they really take a longer nap, don't they? I mean, the whole culture totally is in the middle of the day, like designed around a nap, right? <laughs> so, it's so exactly it's a totally right. Different thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And places like you know Alaska and Finland and Norway, where it's sunny all um, summer, all, yeah. almost twenty four hours. I actually had a client who was from, I think she was from Norway, and she was like, "Yeah, we just didn't sleep well. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's happened." Hard. You know, and it's you just, light. Yep, yeah, you like black out the windows. That's yeah. ideal. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to component number two, circadian okay. rhythms. <laughs> Got it. Fall, try and fall in line with, you know, the age-appropriate times for adults and kids. Anecdotally, I have a fitness tracker on my wrist, and I set it so that it buzzes me at, like, 9.30. A little reminder, like, you should start getting ready for bed now. Wow. And it's kind of helpful because at that point I'm just not even thinking about that at all. Yeah. Because I tend to be a night owl. You're a night owl. Yeah. I know. I was going to say, well, clearly <laughs> yeah. you're not me who's like falling asleep at 930. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's helpful because it like gets me to be like, okay, I mean, I should probably start yeah. working toward that. 
That's healthy. Have a little reminder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're healthy. Well, not about that, but hopefully. <laughs> Anybody who has a Fitbit is that a Fitbit? It's a Fitbit. Yes. Yeah. And so I said it, so it just gives me a little buzz. Great. Is that the one that tells you how much like deep sleep you've yeah. had? So, so it cool. does, and it's really interesting. Hmm. Do you get a lot? Um, no. Well, <laughs> it varies night to night, and I think it's really correlated with what I do. You yeah. know, like on the nights that I kind of wind down, get in bed early, then my sleep looks great, and then other nights it's like restless, and I don't get enough of it. And yeah, interesting. That's yeah, kind of interesting to watch, huh? I um, you I'll know, like, no oh, wonder I'm I feel terrible. Totally, I didn't sleep well, and you can <laughs> exactly. be like, well, then of course, right? Let's get into mental health for a minute. You're like, what's my stress level right now? Have right. I exercised recently? You yeah. know, like what happened to create that night of That's terrible true. sleep? Usually, it's because I'm so stressed out. I'm trying to get um, anyway. I'm exactly. digressing into my own <laughs> nonsense here. This is when two mental health <laughs> professionals <laughs> talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Well, anyway, back to kids' sleep. Thanks. Yeah. We both digress. Um, So the next, after circadian rhythms and respecting those, and, you know, people will know if their kids are a night owl. And, yes, their bedtime might be closer to 7.38, where my kids are 6.30. Like, my daughter has to go to bed at 6.30. She cannot handle staying up late or she turns into a monster. Interesting. Um, The next one, component number three, is having a consistent sleeping space. And I will relate it to both adults and children. Um, I mean, it, it speaks for itself, but... My example is always for parents that I talk to. When you sleep on the couch as opposed to your bed, do you sleep better or worse? Worse. Worse. Right. When you fall asleep, um, imagine, yeah, like if you fall asleep on the bathroom floor for whatever <laughs> reason, <laughs> you're happen. sick. You never know. Right. You have a late night partying and you're asleep on the bathroom floor. Like, are you going to sleep better there yeah. in no. your bed? And so. in fact, even like I've noticed when I sleep in a hotel, the yes. first night, especially, yes. like I get the worst sleep. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. You Doesn't do. matter. Comfy bed, dark, quiet. I still get a terrible sleep just because it's. Different. Not my bed. Right. I usually dream a lot more. I have not looked into why that happens, but weird yeah. dreams in new places. So for children, the same idea. Ideally, they'll have a crib or a bed if they're mm-hmm. older, and that's where they take their naps and they sleep at night. People um, oftentimes, especially if they have multiple children, the kids have to sleep on the go. But I have a lot of clients who have um, resorted to driving around for naps or walking the kiddo in the stroller for naps. And though, yes, they fall asleep, it's not as restorative as if they're in a dark room, the like perfect environment, which we'll talk about. Um, you know, the sleep is just better in, yeah. in their own crib in a dark room. You know, if you're sleeping on an airplane as an adult or in a bus or, you know, in a car, you're not going to sleep as well as you do in your bed. So, mm-hmm. you know, adults can relate to kids' sleep. It's just better to have a consistent sleeping space for as much sleep as possible. Pretty easy. Um, but a lot of parents, you know, Forget that. And, you know, yes, your child may sleep in the car, no problem, but they will get better sleep in their mm-hmm. crib or bed. Yeah. And in the long term, it just helps with that routine more. Right. right. Yes, yeah. exactly. This is where we sleep. You know, mm-hmm. you have your routine and you sleep here. Obviously, when you're traveling, I tell people, like, try and recreate the their bedroom at home. Bring sheets, bring their lovey, bring the white noise machine you use, that kind of thing. Just try and keep it as consistent as possible. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's number three. Number four, having um, the ability to put oneself to sleep. This is probably where I get um, most of my business because, like myself, I rocked my daughter to sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> for years. Mm-hmm. She just couldn't put herself to sleep. She depended on us or someone else to help her. 
Um, it's not the worst thing. You know, anthropologists say that's normal. And in cultures all over the world, children are being nursed to sleep and sleeping with their parents, that kind of thing. But um, in our culture, it tends to not work out so well because, again, people are working and on the go and we're busy and um, we don't have six months off for maternity leave, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I work a lot with families on getting their kids to be able to put themselves to sleep. So they aren't dependent on the stroller nap or the car nap or the... I'm not too against binkies, but some parents want to get rid of the binky. That's their choice. Um, They don't depend on rocking or being soothed in the middle of the night when they wake up during that sleep transition. Mm -hmm. So that's another component. Relating it to adults, um, some people have to drink to go to sleep, you know, whether it be a lot or a little. Some people depend on Ambien. Some people depend on smoking pot. Some people depend on, you know, all sorts of things that are maybe not healthy for them Mm -hmm. to fall asleep. So... um, Parents and children out there need, you know, learning to fall asleep on your own with the help of, for kids, a lovey or, you know, some baby's headbang, which is fascinating, but that's soothing to them. They scratch their sheets, they roll back and forth, do all sorts of things to soothe themselves, suck their thumbs, soothe themselves to sleep. It's so funny. Just this morning, my daughter said that she likes to wiggle. Yeah, until she falls. She like lies in her bed and wiggles until she falls asleep. That's really cool. So, yeah. Did you know that? No. I mean, I think I kind of did a little bit because I've been in the bed with her before when she does that. I know what she's talking about. Yeah. But I didn't realize that, that she's just hanging out in her room doing that until she falls asleep. That's her That's thing. Sweet. That's how she sees herself. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Healthy sleeper. Yeah. What about your other daughter? Do you, can you tell what it might be? I mean, I feel like she she's the one who likes us to stay in the room with her mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I think they both went through this phase. Yeah. Um, so I think usually by the time I leave her room, she's pretty tired. And then I do leave her room. But I Good. started something you suggested, Gabby, which is I tell her I'll, I'll check on her in five minutes. Good. So I won't, I'll say, you need to go to sleep, but I'll come back in in five minutes and check on you. Is she usually asleep? She is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I stretch that five minutes longer <laughs> just to make sure. She can't tell. <laughs> I know, exactly. But I think just knowing that we're around and yep. we'll come back. Yep. She's, yeah. I love but that. Ideally, what she wants to do is for us to like lie there with her until she's asleep. Yeah, and which, like you said earlier, becomes a habit. And mm-hmm. I mean, no parent wants to lie with their kid every single night. Until uh, that's not true. Some parents love that, and that's what they need, and that's fine. I'm not here to judge those people. But but it doesn't when it turns her... into an hour and a half. That's right. yeah, a little yeah. too long. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. But it, yeah, I think that p- the main problem is I just don't want her to. Not be able to fall asleep on her own. Right. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. So what do you do with parents? Like, let's say that they have gotten in that habit of rocking their their kid to sleep or lying there with them. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you... Do you just cold turkey it? Or what do you no. do? No. So <laughs> there are a lot of sleep consultants out there who have, like, um, one method that they have been trained on to do um, when there are sleep issues of any sort. I... I'm trained and have just knowledge from working with a lot of clients on all sorts of things to do. So honestly, it depends on the family and what they're comfortable with. Some families are like, we are done. We don't have time. You know, we're ready to literally lock the kid in the room until they figure it out on their own. Okay. That tends to go really fast. You know, the kids figure it out real quick. (laughs) The mom and dad aren't coming. And 
some parents are down with that and I don't judge like as yeah. long as a kid is safe of course their room has to be like a giant crib basically and I often say you know have a camera so you can make sure they're okay but um, some parents do that like they yeah. just need to figure it out and then there are all other sorts of other options I mean there are options where the parent can actually be in the room like you're saying and then slowly but surely you would move out of the room okay. so they get used to falling asleep on their so own like from the bed to yep. the floor to the chair totally to the doorway to totally the hallway. Okay. And using your voice only, not touching them. Um, this is for babies and toddlers. And then there's some where you would check on them every so often. And the amount of time you wait before checking on them gets longer and longer uh-huh. um, as time goes on. And typically that works beautifully for most kids any age. And, you know, they just, in those times that they're crying and upset, are figuring out what works for them mm-hmm. and how they can get to sleep. But then mom and dad come in and reassure them that <laughs> they haven't left them alone right. in the house <laughs> and that they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, there are all sorts of tips and tricks and hilarious things that happen. I mean, kids get naked. Kids, like, pee on the floor while all this is going on. <laughs> Even when parents are checking on them, like, uh-huh. between the checks, you can't interact with your kid. And, yeah, I recently had a little girl pee on the floor. I was like, I'll pay the carpet cleaning bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really, I mean, it's fascinating, but... The best thing is that it, all of these methods, whether it's super, quote unquote, gentle, where you're present yeah. while they're learning, or more aggressive, where you just kind of lock them in their mm-hmm. safe room, um, they'll work. Yeah. Some just take a little longer than others. I could see how it's helpful to do this when they're still in the crib. Yes. Because the problem, once they're in the bed, then they can just get up and roam around and, Totally. You know, yeah, kids fall asleep on the floor. Right? <laughs> Yeah. That's my suggestion. Yeah. And speaking of that containment, I always suggest people keep their kids in their crib till at least around three, as oh, close okay. to three as possible. And there are a lot of tips and tricks to keep them in the crib. People are like, yeah, but my two-year-old could climb out of the crib. Call me. I have tips for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Because around three, developmentally, they're able to understand consequences of leaving their mm-hmm. room. You can have a really good conversation about what it's going to look like. And if they do choose to leave their room in the middle of the night or they can't handle it, you can kind of threaten them that then they'll have to go back in their crib because they're not ready for yeah, the big kid bed. Yeah. With a two-year-old, I have a lot of clients who switch their kids, you know, 18 months, two years old, and they can't handle it. They yeah. honestly, my clients, some kids do, but the people who call me, the kids just don't understand, you know, the importance of sleep and staying in their bed and the consequences of not sleeping in their bed all night. Um, it just becomes a little more difficult. Not to say that, you know, Working with those clients, I'm like, no, this is never going to work. Yeah. It's just, you know, just keeping your kid in their crib until closer to three is way easier, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also think if part of this is just habit and if the child, because one of my, my younger daughter, when she moved from the crib to the bed, crib and we took the, you know, the side of the crib yeah. off and it became a toddler, toddler bed, bed. Yeah. she was, it was right, it was the summer right before she turned three. Yeah. But she, at that point, she was in a pretty good habit of bedtime and so I don't think in the beginning I don't think she knew she could get up totally now this is dawned on her so now she'll get up but for probably six months yeah but that's just because she was in the habit of like you get in bed you lie down you stay there yep so that's a good another good reason to kind of start that consistent totally routine and if you yeah and if you do switch before three just like being strict so consistency and being kind of intense about bedtime and sleeping in their room really helps so if you choose to switch them before three and, you know, developmentally, they don't understand the consequences and that kind of thing. Just, like, the parent being consistent is the yeah, most important. Yeah. And not allowing them to get up in the middle of the night. And um, 
They're like light up clocks for morning time that show them when it's okay to leave their room. Those types of things that can oh, help in idea. that process. Yeah. yeah. They're amazing. Um, I would like that. You cannot <laughs> leave your room until. That is yeah. what my daughter is trained, um, trained, quote unquote trained, but she's never <laughs> left her bed. She goes to the bathroom, but she calls me in the morning or at night if she needs me. She has never left her bedroom, um, except now she's old. She's four and a half. So now in the morning, she knows it's morning. So she leaves her room and comes to find me. But huh. she just like, she's a rule follower. My yeah. son is not going to be this easy. <laughs> yeah. That's a part of it is it's. So much varies kid to kid. Yes, temperament. And like sleep needs vary sleep to uh, kid to kid and temperament. And, you know, that's, again, why each family is so unique. I love talking to families and figuring out their style, their culture, and also their children and Mm -hmm. what's going to work for them. Yeah. And the parents, what's going to work for them? Can they handle you know, locking their kids in their room? Yeah, I could not handle that. I couldn't. I could not handle that. I I can tell you right now. Totally. That would not be worth it for the toll it would take on me. That's no. That's not the kind of mom I am. Yeah. Well, that's why I racked my I kid can... to sleep till she was <laughs> Some parents maybe, but not me. Especially if it's yeah. like your fourth kid. I think you're just like, whatever. You're in your room. You're safe. We know how to right. do this. Right. Yes. That's true. Yes. Five uh, kids, four, five, six. Totally. You're, you're like, own. totally. <laughs> right. Where, are, where is that kid? Anyway. Yeah. What was their name? Totally. <laughs> um. Okay. So we have... Put the, helping the kids learn to put themselves to sleep. Yes. Okay. Um, right. So kids need to be able to put themselves to sleep. So do adults, let's be honest. Okay, here's yeah. my final component. Okay. See, this the is fifth how... fifth and final component. Fifth and final. This is totally my consultations. We, like, digress off into oh, the yeah. land of sleep. There's so much to talk <laughs> so about. So interesting. Um, so the final one, my friends, is um, to have a flexible bedtime depending on quality of day sleep and activity level. Of course, day sleep has to do with children who nap still. And so a lot of people, you know, are chasing the clock like, oh, my kid has been up with so many hours, they need to go down for a nap. Now they have so many hours, they need to go down for a nap. Not really. So what should happen is nap time should be set in stone. Like I said, 830 to 9 for the first nap, 1230-ish, between 12 and 1 usually for the second nap, depending on age, 3, 330 for the third nap. And then bedtime, depending on how those naps went, or if you're traveling, or they skipped a nap, or you're at Disney World and totally overstimulated, um, bedtime can be flexible, should be flexible. You can catch up on sleep much easier in the evening. Um, So... You know, you can put your kid down at 5.30. Naps are kind of set in stone. There isn't that much daytime for sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always suggest to parents that, you know, keep naps at the same time and then have bedtime be flexible. And if pers- my four-year-old is dropping naps some days, she naps other days, and the day she naps, she gets to go to bed a little later than the day she doesn't nap. So yes. bedtime is flexible. Yeah. Yeah. That's going on with mine, too. My younger yeah. daughter, she's kind of, some days she does, some days she doesn't. And I've definitely noticed on the days that she does nap, she's not even as tired at night. It's a lot harder for her to wind down. Yep. Um, I think that's because she had a good, solid, you know, two-hour nap. Totally. She's not as tired. Totally. And other nights, she's like eyes drooping, yep. you know, because she didn't nap. It's exactly right. And usually bedtime doesn't fluctuate that much, right? Right. But, like, if she takes a nap, maybe it's 30 minutes, 45 yeah. minutes later than normal. Yeah. And if so they... The later side of the window. Totally. Right. And if they roll around in bed, if kids roll around in bed, like way better to put them to bed too early than too late. Mm -hmm. Because when it's too late, cortisol, adrenaline are pumping and getting to sleep is 
really hard for oh, them. Yeah. yeah. They, then they act all hyper. Don't totally. they sometimes yes. act so hyper yes. when they're exhausted? Yes. And like, why that, are they running around and jumping on the bed? Totally. Parents are like, but they're not tired until 10 p.m. And I'm like, no. They are. Ex- yeah. You've actually missed that beautiful window. Yeah. Um, which, you know, every parent should keep their eyes peeled for when the kid falls asleep easily. Yeah. Yeah. For naps and nighttime. So that's it. Those are my components of healthy sleep. Awesome. <laughs> this is helpful. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the um, the sort of simple behaviors that people can do can make a huge difference. Huge difference. And like, though they're simple, it's not rocket science. Um, life is busy, especially if it's your first child, like, and you don't have friends with kids, like my situation. You just don't know, right? right. Like. I don't know. I just like, I don't remember how I fell asleep as a kid. So it's nice to have these five little tips to always fall back on. Yeah. Even if your child right now is an amazing sleeper in a year from now, things might get a little funky and you can refer back to like, oh, they've been doing a bunch of car naps. That's probably why. Or uh, she can't put herself to sleep anymore. She's been used to me lying in her room. Mm -hmm. I need to fix that. So it's really where, you know, I start all my consultations and work with all my families to look at these five things and see what can we tweak? Where can we, like, let's bring bedtime earlier. You're missing that nap window, you know, putting them down for their first nap at 10 is a little late. It's not yeah. the quality of sleep you want. That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Sure. This is really great and helpful information. And Tell us again the website for Rocky. Rockabye Rockies. Rockabye Rockies. So people can check that out. And if anyone needs to fine tune this, they can reach out to you for some additional consultation. But I I think this is so helpful. And what I love, you know, I read some or tried (laughs) during that kind of sleep deprived state with babies I tried to read distill some of this from the sleep books yeah. and it gets really complicated so it's really yes. helpful that you have these just simple strategies I mean they're simple and they're not right 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 like they're they're simple and they're some of them are going to take some work to exactly. put it in practice exactly so it's really helpful to just hear these simple simple ideas yeah hopefully I hope so <laughs> all right well thank you so much Gabby Thanks, it was really Debbie. nice talking to you thank you and to all those parents out there good luck with getting those kiddos to get some quality rest. That's exactly right. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Music by John Gu and Susie Stevens. And special thanks to our creative producer, Dr. Meg McKelvey. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you are looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our website. Our website is offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com.